Hey, good evening. Good evening. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Hey, um, if I have not had a chance to meet you, um, greetings. My name is Scott Robinson. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here. And uh, yeah, I'm thrilled to be here with y'all tonight. And um, so my hope is that you get to know me a bit more, and my hope is that we dive into the Word of God together. That's my hope. We are going to dive into the Word of God. But my hope above everything is that you walk out of here transformed. Um, the good news is that I'm going to guess everyone in this room, we don't need another sermon. We don't need another message. What we need is the Spirit of God to fill my words and penetrate deep in our hearts, you and I both. And so that's what I'm asking for tonight. Um, not just another service, but actually there's a possibility of us walking out of here and saying, my life's different. My life's changed. So that's why I'm here, is <laughs> because I long for that, and I know he can do it. So um, pray with me real quick, and then i got one thing I want to share, then we're going to dive into the Word. Um, so Spirit of God, I, I just relent, surrender, submit again. I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you fill these words with your wind and your fire to penetrate our hearts. And Lord, I thank you for all you've been doing tonight, and I trust you, Lord, even tonight in this little bit of time, use these words so that we would be changed. Amen. Amen. Hey, one, um, I think we were doing worship, I just had... Um, this interesting. So this is one way sometimes that God interacts with me, and maybe this is similar for you, or maybe this is new. So, but when I was worshiping, I just had this picture of um, maybe a couple people in this room that had like a, you know, like sheriffs of old. They had those like stars. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, and, and I and I saw a couple people that had those a big star, and it said sheriff, and then it said um, doubt, skepticism. What skepticism was the word? Skepticism. And that you're here tonight, and you got this badge on of skepticism. And then I saw, and just in my mind's eye, I saw Jesus come up, and he said, I have two hands. He said, one, to hold that badge, and two, to heal your heart. And that sometimes we hold skepticism to keep God at a distance, and it's only because we've been hurt. Even in our mind, if we're more, if we're more intellectual of how we approach the Lord, that's great. God said to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's a reason that the mind is in there. But skepticism isn't about our mind. It's actually about mistrust. And so maybe tonight that's for you. Is that you're here tonight and you're like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to critique everything that happens tonight. And I hope that you're able to say, and just to try it, to say I'm going to take that badge off, so to speak, because it's a false authority. And Jesus is the true authority. And so if that's you, if you're here going, man, it's, I'm just predicting everything, there's a skepticism, it's actually probably self-protection. And it's probably because you've been hurt. Mom, dad, church, scandals in the church, you name it. But in, behind it is actually a facade, and inside of that is a broken heart. And that's the hand of Jesus that can heal and touch you. So just offer that to you. Um, if it's for you, great moment here to just say, Lord, I give you that badge. Or to give you the skepticism. And that's a scary thought because skepticism is about control. I keep everybody at a distance. I keep the church at a distance. I keep God at a distance because I'm scared and my life has to be in control. And sometimes what faith is, Lord, I trust you. And I don't fully understand. And I can assure you, I've walked a little bit longer of life than you guys. I can assure you, he's better than you can imagine. I promise you. But you'll never know until you try. Okay. Um, so there you go. Um, so a um, little bit about my life. Drew, or, Drew, can you put up the picture of my family? Um, so I have a wonderful wife named Jenny, who, yep, we've been married. There they are. That was actually at the Young Adults uh, Retreat over New Year's. If you, if you missed it, which you did, because you're not young adults, you missed out on God moving. It was so fun. Lots of snow, lots of God, lots of friendship, lots of chance to meet with God, and he was healing People's bodies got healed and hearts were being transformed. It was really a fun time to be with God. So my wife's on the left. Uh, we've been married 23, almost 24 years. And then Maya, our oldest, is on the right. She's 17, junior this year. And Kinley's in the middle. She is almost 16. And she's clear about that. She's not 15. She's almost 16. Um, and she's a sophomore this year. Um, so we actually, 
Um, went to university uh, many, many, many years ago in, uh, in Central Texas, and, um, and I grew up in the church. I don't know where your background is, but my background was that. I grew up in Alaska. I'm not Alaskan, but I grew up in Alaska. Some of you guys are like, I've never seen one of you before. <laughs> I'm normal. It's just like you, but I have seen a polar bear. I have seen a whale, and I didn't live in an igloo. Um, general stereotypes about Alaska. Uh, so, so went to college, and um, first freshman year was just kind of like figuring it out and just trying to kind of go in between, I want to go to church, and then I want to go make bad choices, and just back and forth, ebbs and flows. Went home as a, soft, as a freshman, I started my freshman year, and I said, my prayer was this. I had a job. Actually, you're going to like this. I had a job helping sell tickets at a glacier cruise. No joke. Like, it was a big lake, a glacier at the end, and that's like a typical Alaska job. Isn't that amazing? So I'm selling tickets for the glacier cruise. Um, so I went back that summer, and I said, God, if you're real, I have to know you. That was my only prayer. Just if you're real, this whole thing, this God thing, church, religion, all if you're real, would you prove yourself to me? And you know what I loved about that summer is he did. And I also learned he was, he's not scared of hard questions and challenging comments. Because that heart cry was like, God, show me who you are. I have to know you. So I went back sophomore year and just said, I'm all in. Because he, he proved himself to me. But I still didn't know him like I wanted to. Went back sophomore year, jumped into church, jumped into life groups, just headlong. And on the, we had like this spreadsheet, our college group was, was large, and we, so we had life group leaders and section leaders, and so on the spreadsheet, I had a section leader supposed to be discipling me. He never did, and I bless him, and it's okay, but he never did, and I had a huge gaping daddy wound inside of me. My dad left when I was 11, and I was like, who's going to father me? And he never did. He met with me every once in a while, but he's always too busy. And so I was, I was in the college department, and I'm like, I'm seeing all these peers of mine, and they're like being transformed by Jesus. And it wasn't another church thing. It was like transformation. And I said, I got to have what they have, and I, I'm not having anyone help me. And so I took my, my growth, my relationship with Jesus as my responsibility. I blamed no one. Didn't blame my dad. Didn't blame my mom. Didn't blame this guy named Steve that should have been and could have been and would have been. I said, he's mine to know. And so for me, I, I had a terrible living situation sophomore year. Um, but I found this little prayer room in our, on this little building on campus, and I just showed up day after day after day. My Bible, a journal, and no agenda. And, and, and that year, my life was turned upside down because I met this Jesus that was changing all my friends' lives. I met him myself, and I fell in love with him. And sometimes I'd stay for hours because I knew when, when he'd start to whisper, I knew when I'd read the word and it would come alive. I knew when there started to be more of an interaction and I'd be like, okay, I'm staying a little longer. And I shifted my social schedule. I made change. I did fine with grades, but I was just like, this Jesus, I have to know him. There was a desperation to know him. But it was, it was, it was stimulated by seeing other people's lives changed and I didn't have what they had and I wanted it because it was so authentic. And real. So here's one of the things, and this is the key for tonight I want you to hear. I walked out of that. So I have promises from God. The first time I heard his voice, the first time I read the word, in the sense in that he started to interact with me around his word. I grew up reading the Bible, but it was like this interaction of relationship. And what I walked out of that, that year of a lot of time with him and a lot of aloneness being removed from my life, exchanged with intimacy, as I walked down there and I, and I had this, I had this thought that, that got planted inside of me. He wants to change the world through me. Okay, the world's a big place, and it was really big for me coming from Alaska. I didn't, you know, in Texas, and I didn't understand the y'alls and the southern draws and all this stuff. It was such a weird culture to me. But I walked out of that going, I met with my king, and he wants to change the world through me. Now, let me assure you, I'm not like the type A strong leader that, can, can like the Steve Jobs that can like come up with great ideas. I'm, I'm like just a normal guy. But I met with a king that's so much different than me. And he stamped a hope and a belief on me that was so different. So I walked out of there as a sophomore at the end of my, my sophomore year and I said, I, I think he wants to change the world through me. His strength, not mine. Okay? And the key was my yes. There's, 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 there's the one thing they taught me through that. Is it felt like he said, just keep saying yes to the next thing I say, send you to do. 
just keep saying yes. If I look too far ahead, I stumble and fall. But if I just say, Lord, what are you saying next? Okay, I can do that. What are you saying next? Okay, I can do that. I just walk with Jesus. So my next yes led us down this path where we graduated um, college. My wife was in Chicago, and I was in, we were, I was in Central Texas, and I grew up in Alaska. She's from Houston, and we're like, we're getting married. We're like, we can go anywhere. God, what do you want us to do? And God said, stay in Waco and serve. And I was like, no, Waco's terrible. <laughs> it was terrible, and it's much better now. Okay, but here's my point. Here's what I want you to hear. My yes led me in this path where I've had the privilege of traveling around the world and sitting with church planners from all over the world. We, we stayed in Waco. We paid off our school debt. We, we started to have kids, and finally God says, time to go. So we went to Germany for two and a half years. We took Maya, our oldest. She was two, and our youngest was six, seven months old. But we knew God called us to go. So we went to Germany for two and a half years, church planting, when college students, and also starting this thing would be called The Haven. So it was a place of rest and restoration for pastors and missionaries. After two and a half years, we moved to Portugal. We were there for 11 years. And we opened a, like a couple houses, and people came from all over the world. And we've got to sit the pleasure of sitting with heroes from all over the world that have given their lives for Jesus. It's, it was just such a privilege. The last five years, I worked with the Antioch Movement, helping oversee church plants in different parts of the world. So I got to travel and see a lot of these heroes. And I wish you could have gone with me. The world's an amazing place. And Jesus loves America. <laughs> and he loves Phoenix. And he loves right where you are. Um, so this isn't about missions. This is about a yes. Okay? So I want to show a little quick video that gives you a snapshot into my family. So we like to have fun. We love outdoors. So this one was near a house in Portugal. Um, there was a place where we lived kind of in a rural area. And uh, there's a place where people, uh, on, like they had uh, four-wheel drives, trucks. And on the weekend, they'd have all these paths up and down the, kind of the hillside. And so one weekend, they weren't driving up there. And I took my girls up there. And we had our mountain bikes. And we were riding on the paths. And it was kind of muddy. So we were packing up to leave. And then we saw this big, deep kind of V ditch that they dug out where trucks would go down. Just a little bit of water on the bottom. Do you got it, Drew? Do you got it, Drew? Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is, this is me. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> You're not going to be able to get your bike out of there, Dad. You guys want to see that again real quick? <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's me. That's me. I actually like to have fun. I love to laugh. Uh, I love outdoors. That was the most, one of the most unexpected things in my life, though. That mud at the bottom under that water was actually sticky, and I face-planted right on it. But it was so fun. So there's, there's our world. Um, so, um, so for my life, I'm a normal guy. I'm up on stage, but I just want to assure you, if you were to sit with me and know me, you'd be like, yeah, he's a normal dude, but something about him's changed. And it's just because I walk with Jesus. And the same with all of you is the call of God is on your lives. He's invited you first to intimacy and second to a yes. Okay? So let me tell you a little story about some college students. Um, in the early 1800s, there's a group of college students. Actually, let me read these names and see if anyone's heard of them. That might be a good place to start. James Richards, Samuel Mills, Francis Robbins, Harvey Loomis, and Byron Green. Has anyone heard those names before? You have? Okay, okay, good. So those guys were five guys in college, and they were at a college called Williams College, okay, East Coast. And they, um, and they, they gathered together, and they loved Jesus, and they're like, God, your heart is for America, but also for the nations, and so we're going to get together and pray. They committed to pray together once a week, I think it was once, twice a week, and to read stories about what God was doing around the world, Okay. So they would, on campus, there was actually a lot of oppression about Christians, and people were not friendly to all that. So they would go off campus, and they'd always meet under this tree and pray. And one night, they're gathering, as they always do, and they're praying, and they're sharing the things of God, and they continue praying, and the rain starts pouring down. And so they're looking around, like, where do we go? The rain's just dumping on us. So they go find a haystack, and they get under a haystack, and they just keep praying. They pray through the night, and they come back on a campus, and something changed. God started capturing the hearts of people. People started seeing Jesus in their lives. It's called the Haystack Revival. It started with five unknown people that said, 
we got to know God and we got to know his purposes on this earth. And they said, we're going we're gonna to covenant to pray. And it started this transformation that, that, started, that God started to do amazing things in this college, another one, and even unto Princeton. And shortly after that, they said, well, I bet people, since God's like, save, Jesus is saving people and people's lives being changed, and they're like, well, I wonder if God would want to send people to America around the world. And so they, they started just saying, hey, does anyone want to go share the gospel and love people around the world? And all of a sudden, these students said, I'm going to graduate and go. I'm going to say yes. And in 10 years, they had over 1,200 people that went to different places in America and went around the world to just say, hey, we're going to love people because Jesus loves us. The Haystack Revival. And it started with five people that had a yes in their heart to him. Again, this isn't about missions. This is about a yes. Just five people, just like you, that said, my friends and I, we want to know this Jesus. And when they wanted to know him, they actually started to fall in love with his purposes. And they carried his heart into a place where the world's been transformed. And so for some of us, we're a direct result of a couple hundred years previous, these faithful five that prayed. And that Jesus has reached your family and mine, potentially. Okay? And the same with all of us. Okay? So I have on my desk, um, do you guys, if you come on Sunday mornings, a couple months ago, we had these cards out. And it just says, Revival in the Phoenix Valley. So I have it on my desk, and I keep it there. And I'm just praying, and, I'm, and I see it. I just, yes, Lord, this is why we're here. This is where you call our family to serve, and I want to be a part of what you're doing. And I remember about a week and a half ago, I, I just turned and saw this, and I was praying again, and I felt like God said, one yes at a time. And so I wrote it on the bottom. And he said, one yes at a time, Lord. And so in my heart, I commit to say just one yes at a time. So for some of you, your questions are, what should be my major? Who am I going to marry? What should I do this summer? And I just want to say one yes at a time. Ask Jesus the questions. Walk in healthy community and just say yes to what he's leading you into. And you're going to be right in the middle of where God wants you to be. So many people in your stage of life ask the question, who am I and how do I make an impact? And I want to say the greatest place to make an impact and find your identity is actually to fall in love with Jesus. And your yes to him leads you to a place where you're so satisfied. You're so fulfilled, whether whatever profession he calls you into. Okay, So we're going to actually um, dive into one guy that you may be familiar with his story, you may not, but we're going to dive into one guy that actually kept saying yes, the most unexpected way. So real quick history about Moses. You might or may not, oh, wait, I have to say something. If you're a senior, raise your hand. Sorry, total pause. If you're a senior, a few people. Okay, you are officially invited, and any other seniors... At the end of the year when you graduate, we would love to help have you guys over to our house. Sorry, you have to be a senior. To our house to host dinner. And we want to have some young adult leaders that come as well that actually have life groups of people that are your age that are graduating. And some other folks that have actually graduated to be able to say, hey, let's walk this journey together. It's a hard transition in case you don't know, going from college to not college life. It's pretty hard. It's really hard. But it's okay. You need people, is my point. And we want to help you make that bridge, that jump. Okay? So more to come on that later. But Okay, Moses' life. So if you're not familiar with Moses, let me give a quick, quick history, and then we're going to jump to a specific point in his life. Moses um, was a Hebrew. He, lived in e- he was born in Egypt because of the sovereignty of God. Um, they were in Egypt, but then the, the Hebrews started to grow and have lots of babies. And the Pharaoh at the time said... If they keep having babies, they're going to have a lot of people, and a lot of people are going to overthrow my rule, and so that's a problem. So he said, the Pharaoh said, kill every baby boy that's two years or younger. Throw him in the Nile. Okay, I've, been, I've seen the Nile. I went with friends to the Nile, and we were about 100 yards off, and they said, don't get closer, because there's like alligators in there and like hippos and crazy things. And no joke, we were there for a few hours, and it was wild, these big nasty hippos. Have you ever seen a hippo before? They're disgusting and huge and scary. I mean, just wild. Um, so all these baby boys are getting thrown in now. Moses' mom said, hey, I, I can't let that happen. And so he makes a little basket. You might be familiar with the story. Puts the basket in the water. And then this is the sovereignty of God. I think God put his hand on that baby's basket and led him right where he should be. There's no reason with all of those crazy creatures, the ones I saw that were probably there that day, there is no reason that he should have survived. And God instead, in that little baby in that basket, led him right to Pharaoh's palace. Pharaoh's daughter's there, takes him in, 
And so Moses, a Hebrew, gets raised in Pharaoh's palace. And there's a fateful day where he's out, he's watching, he's a young man, and he's watching as some of his Hebrew brothers and sisters, one specifically, is being beaten by one of the Egyptians. And he goes out to defend him, and he kills the Egyptian. Pharaoh hears about it, and he runs. Okay? And he runs to a place called Midian. And so historians believe that's about 300 miles away. So imagine if he did 16 hours a day, that would take him roughly six hours of running for his life. So pause for a minute and think about what's going through his head. He's a murderer. One of the most powerful armies in the world is after him. He has no family. He has no place to go. He has no job. He has nothing. Do you think he was feeling pretty lonely? Desperate? Shame? Fearful? Isolated? Anyone else feel any of those feelings before? Come on. Every one of us, me included, our hands are up. We felt alone. We felt isolated. We felt like, if you're like me, my dad left when I was 11. Like, I didn't have a dad. So I grew this huge dad hole in my heart until God met me when I was a sophomore and transformed me. Okay? Pharaoh's running for his life for at least six days straight, if not more, in, in the desert. And he's like, this whole thing is going through his head and he doesn't know where he's going. He ends up in Midian. He, there's a well there. And he sits down to drink a, get a drink of water. There's all these shepherds around. There's these, there's these girls that are bringing their, their dad's sheep in to water them. The shepherds are pucking on them. And Moses shoes the shepherds away and then waters these, uh, these sheep. And then the girls go tell their dad. The dad comes to Moses and said, hey, bring him in. Who is this guy? He's a man of character. And they go, no, he's an Egyptian because he looked like an Egyptian. But the dad takes him in, gives him a job, eventually marries his daughter. And so we find Moses tending sheep at this point. Okay, we find Moses tending sheep. Sometimes, just this, this little well moment, sometimes when we're not sure where to go and we feel isolated and alone, the best thing to do is just serve the next person in front of us. Sometimes freedom comes when we actually look past ourselves. There's a little life lesson if you need that. <laughs> That's free. Um, but I can attest that it's true because I've tried to walk that out. Um, Okay, so here's Moses. He's lonely, he's rejected, he's a wanderer, you know, he's a murderer, he's got all this stuff weighing on him. And we find in Exodus 2, Exodus 2.23, it's coming up here? Okay, 2.23. Here we go. We good, Drew? Okay, I'm going to read it. Um, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. Israel, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help became... Uh, because of their slavery, went up to God, and God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant to Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and had concern for them. Another translation said had compassion for them. Okay? I read that because I just want to say a personal application here. Listen, if you feel like a slave to anything, anxiety, fear, lust, pornography, the list could go really long. If you're like a slave, the best way out of slavery is to call out to God and tell someone. Because God hears our prayers. This is a promise for us. We don't have to forget this. If you feel like a slave, if you feel stuck, God hears your prayers. He probably won't rescue you as fast as you want to. I've lived a few years to assure you of that. Because in the part of the calling out to the rescue is the intimacy that he needs for me to receive a gift from him of rescuing but I can promise you he, will hear, he does hear your cry and he will rescue you. And he'll probably rescue you in a different way than you expect. Okay? Um, so here's where we find Moses. So Moses is being faithful. Ready? So Exodus 3, 1 through 3. I'm going to keep going. You guys got, a, you got Bibles? Drew, are we good with, with uh, this? Okay. <laughs> Drew's working on it. You guys have Bibles? Good. I hope you do. Um, Exodus 3. We're on Exodus 3, 1 through 3. Okay? Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the Mount of God. Verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire um, from within the bush. Moses saw 
that, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Let's pause here in the story for a second. What's Moses doing? What's he doing? Come on. What's he doing? He's being faithful. He's tending sheep. Moses is being faithful with what he's supposed to be doing. And in the midst of his faithfulness, he gets, he gets put right in the middle of the will of God. Life lesson. If you're not sure what to do, be faithful to the last thing God said. You'll be right in the middle of the will of God. Sometimes we scramble for the fresh word, the new direction, something's changing, and sometimes we don't hear that direction. We gotta look back and go, wait, what did God call me to? There I will remain faithful. So we find Moses being faithful, and in his faithfulness, I think he's experiencing healing and restoration from all of his past. Mount Horeb is a place at that time where God seemed to visit people. Moses didn't know this probably, but he's just being faithful. And sometimes when we need breakthroughs, it's important to go where we think God's moving. Life group, here, people like me when I was your age, I saw people loving Jesus and being transformed, and I said, I gotta be around them. And sometimes I felt super uncomfortable because they were more holy than me, and it was actually conviction. Sometimes we need to be like Moses and saying, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to go where I know God's doing something and I'm not going to leave. So in that place, Moses finds a bush that's burning but not burning. And what does he do? He approaches the things of God. If that word earlier for you about skepticism rings true, sometimes how we get free from that is we actually approach what God is doing, even though we can't understand it fully. So this is a bush burning but not burning. Right? If you were Moses, what would you do? I probably would have ran. I mean, like, this is weird. But Moses is like, huh, that's interesting. And he actually leaves the sheep he's tending to go and go, what is that? What's going on? And he peers into the fire. We see the yeses of Moses as he starts to encounter God. So verse 4. Oops, it's ringing. Sorry, do I need to do something, Drew? I don't know much about sound, but it's echoing. Okay, here we go. Um, verse 4, if you're with me, follow along. Then the Lord saw um, that he had gone over to look, and God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Um, do not come any closer, God says. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Sometimes when we see God doing things in people's lives, it would be a tendency to want to run. That fire's happening. I don't understand it, but know what Moses did? What we all need to do is stop and just look at the fire. Not because we have to understand it and control it, but because it's something in that fire is drawing me. Because inside the fire, what do we see happen to Moses? His identity is spoken. He hears the voice of God, maybe for the first time in his life. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But he heard God, and, he called, and God called him by name. Some of you, or some of you in your classes, live life thinking, God, do you really see me? Do you really know me? And sometimes you need to just look what God is and stare at him like I did as a sophomore. I said, I'm not leaving this room until you come and visit me, God. I need you. In a way, I was looking at the fire, and I was saying, God, I have to see you. And in the place of that, you're going to find your identity. You're going to realize God sees you and knows you. And my guess is in those places, God's going to start speaking to you about people in your class, in your dorm, your friendship groups that don't know him yet. So many times when we look and our, and our heart needs are so big of identity and who am I, and sometimes we actually start looking in to get our heart needs met, and we start getting God's heart like the people from Williams College. Those five people we don't know. But they started to lean into Jesus, and when they did, they actually started to go, oh, your heart's bigger than just me and my needs. God, your heart's bigger than me and my needs. And they actually became more fulfilled and satisfied because of their yes to him, not this constant search that I would be whole and healed and be known. Okay, being a young adult's pastor, um, we have an incredible young adults community, and, and I'm excited for all of you to jump in with us when it's time. It really, they love Jesus. They're 
incredible. We have abide once a month. We just, we gather like this, and God's doing incredible things among us. But one thing I've noticed is that even at, at that age, post-college, and we have people up into their 30s, it's a wide gap. People still live with that question in their heart. It's not just when you're in college. God, I have this pain. What do I do with this pain? And what I'm, what I'm encouraging everyone to do is start looking at the fire. Where's Jesus? If I look at him, he tells me I'm okay, and he gives me his heart for the people around me. Does that make sense? Okay, are we tracking on this? Okay. Um, and it's not just, con- for whatever it's worth, this isn't just conjecture. Like, this is Moses, the normal guy, the murderer, the lonely man, the homeless man, the familyless man. And he says, God says, I have something for you. So he's normal, like us. He's not some saint. He's, not, he's just a guy running for his life and trying to figure out how to do life. Faithful in what he's doing, and God encounters him, and he says yes to him. And in that yes, identity and transformation happens. Is this hitting home, anyone? Please, I, just, I hope it does. Okay, There's a lot here, but my hope is that something in your heart goes, oh, I need that. What if that's true? When I was at your age and I'd hear things like this, the news seemed almost too good for me because I hurt so much or because I had my own plans. And I'd hear information like this, and I'd go, ah, it's it's too good to be true. And it wasn't until I said, I'm going to stare at that fire. I'm going to stare at what you're doing, God. I have to. If this is true, I want it to change me. And it's possible. It's possible. Um, So we see also that God says to Moses, what does he say? God, he calls him by name, Moses responds, and then he says, take off your sandals. Has anyone read that story and that's, that's just the most bizarre part of the story? Like, why take off your sandals? It's, it's the desert, I guess, and it's probably really hot, and he's a shepherd, and so his feet probably like sandals and not hot sand. I don't know what the environment was like, but it's like, why would you do that? What did God say to him? Because this place is holy. I just want to say, if you want to be transformed and you want to stare at Jesus... We're going to have to deal with the issue of holiness. We have to. If we stare at God and we say, I have to know you, he's going to respond with, take off your shoes, lay that down. Those movies you're watching, doesn't please me. Those jokes you laugh at, they actually don't like them. Those things you're doing with your boyfriend or girlfriend, actually isn't pleasing to me. It's destroying you. We ha- the issue of holiness is huge. Why? Not because God wants to control us, because he wants to set us free. To set us free. All of that stuff, that issues of holiness and sexuality is, is such a massive part of our lives. And it's even more a part in this generation than when I was your age. Because it's just more accessible and it's more hidden. Okay? And this isn't about rights or wrongs. It's actually about if, if, if you lean into him, good and maybe not good news, he's going to ask you to release some things that are destroying you anyways. Okay? Is that still, Drew, are we still not working? We're good? Okay. Um, Hebrews 12. You guys flip over there in your Bibles. Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14. I just want to pause in this, this about holiness for a minute, okay? Please don't check out on me. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when we talk about these things, sometimes it's either my heart's burning and I gotta lean in or my heart's burning and I'm convicted and I just wanna pull away. Please don't pull away for your sake, okay? Um, Hebrews twelve fourteen. you ready? Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy, So there's an interesting little bit of, it's not about works, and I strive, but it's actually God saying, make every effort to live at peace with people and to live a holy life. What's the next part of that sentence say? Without holiness, no one can see God. This verse affirms what we're talking about, we're seeing in Moses' life with take off your sandals. If we want to see him and we really want to be changed, it's going to cost us some of our sin patterns that we're just holding on to, that feel comforting, but I guarantee you not. And, and I don't want to define what holiness is. I want you to go to God and say, God, what, what is it in my life that I don't need right now? Okay? 
because morality and holiness isn't a, isn't a personal thing and isn't a relational thing and my friends do this and that. It's not what it's about. If we'll stare at God, he'll change us, but he'll call us to say, that right there is destroying your life. Trust me. I want to walk you into freedom. Okay? Ephesians 5. Flip over to Ephesians 5 real quick. Go left. Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. So God has a standard about holiness that's pretty incredible. Okay? And I just want us to read these, just these, two, these three verses because they, they're pretty clear. They spell out about God's intentions, his desire for us. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving interesting exchange for of this you can be sure no immoral impure or greedy person such person is an idolater so that means they worship something besides God has any inheritance in the kingdom of God okay I, I read that verse for us because I just want to be it's clear but there's a very very obvious um, exchange for us in that in that in those verses Don't, not even a hint of sexual morality not even a hint of impurity not even a hint of that and instead, I got something better for you. I got something better for you. That's the invitation. He is actually going to be your great reward. I can promise you that. He is. It's not an equal exchange. I give you this and I get a little bit of you. It's like I give you this and I get all of this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords. So I know as you guys walk forward together in life groups or if you're in a D house or coming every week, this is part of what God's going to start doing in your life where you're starting to see, you're going to start seeing things and go, ah, I don't want that anymore. And you may go, I'm stuck. I don't know how to get free. And that's what community's about. And maybe you need to be like me and you find a secret place and you just keep on going until God sets you free. Maybe that's what it's going to take. But it's worth it. Um, okay. Back to Exodus 3, 11 through 14. So again, if you remember where we're at, um, so Moses is... Did I lose that? Just lost my train of thought. Okay, so God calls him closer. Sorry, verse 7. No, 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 11. Verse 11. Okay, so God says, go, tell your people... I want to rescue them. And this is Moses' response. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh um, and bring the, the, the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your, your fathers have sent me. And they say to me, what is his name? Then I shall tell them. What then shall I tell them? And God says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. So there's a bit of progression here. The yes of God being faithful to the things of God. And then we stare at the fire and we go, God, I have to know you more. I have to be free. And God will call us to things that are not good for us in the first place. And he'll start to put a birth in our hearts, a longing to see ASU or GSU, GCU transformed with his power. What if? What if you and your friends got together on campus once a week, like the Haystack Revival people, and said, we're just going to pray for our campus? What if he did that once a week? What would God do? I, I probably guarantee your name will not be in the history books, but I could also want to say that you may birth the move of God that rescues people from the pit of hell. You don't know, but it's possible. Normal people like us, God uses us. And here we see that with Moses. Moses is that moment where he's like, uh, insecurity here, uh, I'm not qualified. Anyone ever had that thought before? I have, sitting right down here before I came up on stage. <laughs> Remember I'm normal like you? I just said, Lord, help. Okay? Like Moses. And you know what God whispered in my heart? Just keep going forward. Just keep going forward. 
It's, it's him working, not me. Okay? So Moses, in his own insecurity, his own self-awareness of, God, how in the world can I rescue my people? Because remember all these things that I've done? And God actually says, I'm sending you. I'll go with you. Tell them I'm with you. And then if you know the story, he demonstrates his power and his love through Moses. So Moses has an insecurity issue, probably like most of us in this room, and God's still the God of his life. And Moses had to say yes to him. Moses' yes rescued the people of God and changed the world. One man, a simple man, broken, messed up, but he just said, I have to see this. I have, I'll say yes to you. Okay? And that's the same for all of us, and that's what I hope you hear tonight. Is that this isn't about rights and wrongs. This is about me saying, your yes counts. Your yes counts. And we never know what's on the other side of our yes. And I've told that like, with my girls as they're getting into teen years, and they're, they're well into their teen years, and their walk with God is their own now. And I'll tell them that. I'll say, hey, you never know what your yes will give you. But you know you're saying yes to the king of kings, and that's everything. So our yes isn't like, I'm going to manipulate because I want this from you, God. It's just yes because I love you, and my life is yours. And when we do that, he starts putting us right where we need to be. And some of those life questions, like, who am I? Where do I fit? What's my major? What should I do? Those are real questions. Who are my friends? Who am I All those questions are super real. But some, somehow when we start staring at the fire and we love him, with all of our heart, we give him our yes, even when we don't fully understand, those questions seem to fade. And the anxiety that's attached to them that doesn't grip us anymore. Okay? So there's two parts, and as we wrap up, there's two different places in Scripture that we talk about the fire being transformative. One of them, if you're familiar with Acts 2, we, um, there was a group of people after Jesus died and went up to heaven, and, and right before he said, go to Jerusalem and wait, and I'll meet you there, and you'll be filled with power. So a group of people went, they locked themselves in a room, and they prayed, and they're scared to death because they're like, we're probably going to die too, just like Jesus. And we're probably crazy because why are we following this man that just died? And as they waited and as they gathered together and prayed, if you know the story, you know what happens. The wind of God blows through the walls. Every fear didn't hinder God. The wind of God starts blowing through the room. And then we see fire, an expression of God in the natural, come and sit on their heads. I've never seen that. I've been pretty crazy, but why not ask for it? So it sits on their head and doesn't burn up anything. That's an interesting, that's the same like Moses. The same fire that didn't consume, but purified. Same expression of God shows up here. And with that, they're transformed, their fear is broken, and the world's reached to them. You see that again? They're scared, but they say, we're going to gather our friends and we're going to fight and pray. And when we fight and pray, and we, God changes us, and when he changes us, he gives us his heart for, for them. It's their people around them. For you, it's your campus. It's your family. It's your dorm. It's, those, it's that person in dorm that you think they're the least likely to be saved. That's the one Jesus wants to reach. Okay? So if you're like me, I'm kind of like Moses. I'm like, uh, God, you got to go with me. I don't know what to do. And, and God will whisper back. It's not about you. It's about me. Just open your mouth. Just love. Just be intentional. Pray. We see another in Exodus, or Revelations 19. Another, just a snapshot of fire. And this is where I want us to land before we respond to him. Revelation 19. This is a picture of Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. And in fact, I think this is probably a pretty, not probably, this is an accurate representation of Jesus like in heaven. And what does he look like? Okay, we're going to read 11 through 13. So, Revelations 19, 11 through 13. I saw he- heaven. Actually, why don't we stand up? Everyone stand up real quick. I'd love to read this and then just go right into what he's doing. Okay. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. 
If you need someone in your life that's faithful and true because you've seen unfaithfulness and lying all your life, look at Jesus. That's who he is, faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. If you have a place in your life, you need someone to defend you, that's Jesus. With justice, he wages war. If you're like me at times, I'm like, God, I can't stop that. I need help here. God, this person's saying this about me, and I don't think it's true. Lord, would you help? And I lean into this Jesus that wages war for me so I don't have to defend myself anymore. And I bet some of you in this room, that's kind of how your MO, that's how you roll, is if someone says something, I'm going to defend myself. And self-defense is because we don't have an accurate representation of this God that wages war for us. This is our Jesus. Okay? He wages war for us. Where was I? Verse 11. Oop, there we go. Yep. Okay, verse 12. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. Okay? We're going to pause there. Actually, let's read 13 as well. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. In this time, when battles happened, and part of the victor, they got all the spoils, but they also would actually take, like, the clothes they're wearing and dip them in the blood. It's kind of gross. It's kind of weird. We don't quite understand it. We don't live in that. But what we're seeing here is Jesus saying, I've already won the battle for you. I've already gone before you and I've won this for you. That should give us a lot of confidence when we come to him and we say, God, I need this from you. Because we're like, oh yeah, you've already won this for me. This is overwhelming to me, but you're not overwhelmed by it. That's good news. So how did this describe his eyes? Did you guys catch that? He said his eyes were eyes of fire. I'd like to submit to us that that's the similar fire that burned that Moses saw and transformed him. It's a similar fire that visited these scared people behind locked doors, fearful and insecure and alone, and transformed them because they just worshipped him. And this is the same fire where we look at Jesus and we see eyes that burn with love. And eyes that burn with the ability to not consume, but to liberate. He's, it's going to cost us things, but things we don't need anyways. Okay? So tonight, if that's part of where you're at, is you're like, I, I just, i got to look him in the eyes. I can assure you that there's actually an encounter waiting for you. Every morning I'm spending time with him and there are mornings where I just get on my knees and I say, I have to look at you right now, Jesus. And something happens. I can't explain it, it's, it but I know he's with me. When I'm scared or worried about this or that, I just sometimes I just go, God, you have to rescue me, Lord. Would you, I just got to look you in the eyes and this eyes of fire come and warm me when I'm scared or when I'm afraid. These eyes of fire come and they purify it's one thing about fire as well is that fire actually draws us. Sometimes if we're lonely and distant, we're, we're cold or isolated and when we see a fire, we draw to it because we want warmth in the natural. This is part of the invitation tonight. If in life you're like, I'm tired of being lonely. Can I, can I just give you a little hint? It's not about more friends around you. Extrovert, introvert, doesn't matter. If you're tired of being lonely, it's because you got to look at the one in the eyes of fire. And I promise you, your heart will be satisfied. Okay? So as, as we start to worship, what I want to just invite us to do, and my guess is, as we've talked about a lot tonight, is there's probably some specific things inside of you that you're like, I, I, I need that. i got to be free. i got to know that Jesus. I don't know him that way. Or maybe like we talked about at the beginning, where you're like, yeah, skepticism is kind of a badge for me. Maybe you'd like to lay that down tonight and really experience his love. Maybe. Okay. The other area I just want us to respond in is with holiness. As we start to worship, if something, if none of this is like, yeah, it's not hitting home for me, it's okay. Ask him though, Lord, is there anything here for me? God, is there any place of holiness you're actually calling me to? 
whether you've been addicted to something most of your life or whether it's a pattern that no one knows or whether it's something you confessed a thousand times and it feels like it grips you. Tonight, you could be totally free because that's the God we serve. His ability is beyond our reason, okay? So I want to invite us as we worship, just come forward, okay? We've got plenty of space here. But what I wanted to say is please don't stay where you are. What I've found of years of life, ministry, church, is when we stay put, our hearts stay a little bit harder. This isn't about filling the spaces. It's actually about being changed. There's something about just getting up and coming that I don't understand, but it's about that yes we've been talking about. Yes, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm going to take a step. I'm coming to you. And we might have some people come and pray over us in a little bit, but for right now, I just want us, as we worship, to come forward and respond to him. You and Jesus. You and Jesus. If this Jesus I'm talking about kind of scares you and you like keeping him at a distance, what if tonight you say, Lord, I, I challenge you to show me how good you are? I don't think he's scared by that. But you'll never know until you respond good? All right, so let me pray. You guys ready? Lord, thank you. Yeah, just come forward. If there's something that's, that's in your heart you want to you get free from, you want to know him. If there's unforgiveness and pain that you've carried for a long time from like your parents or your dad, stuff that's been done to you, just want to say no amount of pain that's been caused to you is there's an inability of God to heal you but you'll never know until you come some of you guys have experienced some abuse and some things in your past that you just wish would go away and in a sense you blame yourself and I and I think God wants to actually set you free right now he's with you and that that most embarrassing shameful place that was done to you he wants to restore you So Holy Spirit, fill this room. Fill our hearts, Lord. Give us courage right now. Courage right now, Holy Spirit. To step towards you as Moses did. Courage right now, God. I love you, Lord.